Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow into the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Super Bowl over, NBA All-Star over, Daytona 500 over. What's left? Well, just significant economic issues, getting ready for baseball, hopefully basketball, hockey, golf season starting, and on and on, getting ready for deal-making issues 3-1. to one. Three. The NFL and Roger Goodell are in talks over an extension that could see him be in charge of the league for another few years. The league will continue to endorse him, and Roger has been on both ends of love or hate over the years, overseeing dozens of league changes and mandates. The NFL team owner's desire to renew Goodell's contract marks a big vote of confidence in his leadership through the pandemic and can be seen as a sign of his own growing confidence and security in his role since his last deal he signed in 2017. He's at the top of his game right now, says one owner. Why would we want him walking out the door? The NFL denied negotiations are occurring. There's no truth in this report, said Brian McCarthy, league vice president of communication, but you'll, of course, never know. Two. LeBron James hasn't ruled out a potential return to Cleveland. As amidst the Lakers' struggles, it seems all that more possible. Doors not closed, he told the Atlantic's Jason Lloyd. I don't know what my future holds. James didn't hide away from answering questions about the Lakers season. During his all-star media availability, Lakers uh, were uh, referred to by James as having a hellstorm of a season. The Lakers have a 27-31 and record, sitting ninth in the Western Conference. And over the all-star weekend, James answered a number of questions, including that of how much longer he imagined playing for. LeBron stated he wants to play until his son enters the league, and that when that time comes, he'll do everything in his power to play with Bronny. James, now 37, is playing in his 19th season. He had two separate stints with the Cavaliers from 2003 to 10 and from 2014 to 18. James won his third NBA championship with the Cavaliers in 2016, defeating the Warriors, as we all remember, in seven games. One. The PGA Tour Super League isn't garnering nearly as much support as they had initially hoped it would. The Saudi Arabia-backed $2.9 billion rival golf league dead in the water, according to Rory McIlroy, after Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson backed away from the controversial plans. DeChambeau reportedly offered, reportedly, $200 million contract to turn his back on the PGA Tour to become the poster boy for the Super Golf League. But another massive blow for the Saudi space in a few days, DeChambeau staying put after several big names also announced their commitment to staying over the weekend. While there's been a lot of speculation surrounding my support for another tour, I want to make it very clear, as long as the best players in the world are playing the PGA Tour, so will I, DeChambeau said in a statement on Twitter. That's deal-making issue number one. The golf business is one of those truly unique ones. It's obviously very controversial, as we just heard with the Saudi guarantees, but also the ability to generate substantial economic impact that the Genesis Invitational just did in Los Angeles, as well as a significant charitable component. 
a person who bridges the gap, Dave Cluan. He's been running the Genesis Invitational for a significant period of time, since 2017, but also has been on top of the TGR Live Tiger Woods Foundation. Tiger played and got his first exemption in 1992, and he was 16 years old at Riviera. And the 1996, 25th year founding of the TGR Foundation, a Tiger Woods venture, Dave handles both. Coming off of a successful tournament at Riviera, Dave Cluen talks about golf, the business, charity, and a combination. Here's Dave Cluen. We got a lot of stuff to talk about about this tournament, but uh, you know we're we're taping this right at the end of the tournament that you just had, which was incredibly successful post-pandemic Riviera uh, Genesis Invitational. Joaquin Neiman, a Chilean, wire to wire. Lloyd Mangrum, Charlie Sifford, a guy by the name of Ben Hogan, whoever he is. And this is the fourth guy wire to wire. What a what an incredible accomplishment and an incredible event. It, it was amazing to to witness it. I mean, as you said, I mean, this is a tournament that's almost 100 years old. And for the fact that we've only had a few people go wire to wire um, is pretty impressive. But he came out of the gates hot. Um, you know, it's funny on Wednesday was talking to him a little bit before the pro-am and he was talking about how he was so laser focused on playing to the best of his ability because in 2028 when the olympics are hosted here at riv um he said it himself he's probably the best chance that his country has of, of taking a gold medal so he he definitely owned it all week um it was kind of synergistic that this was the 100 year birthday of charlie sifford um so for him to do it on the you know 50 years after charlie you know Charlie's 100-year centennial is uh, kind of was in the cards. Yeah, and the cool thing about that, too, by the way, for this kid is he owns it, but the Olympics is six years off, and for a kid to focus this far in advance about that, that's really good for the sport. It is, and uh, look, I mean, the sport has changed. I was talking to some people over the weekend that the growth of the international players um, has gone up so significantly on tour over the last handful of years. And that's only going to continue to grow. I mean, we've seen this globalization, you know, in every sport from the NBA to, you know, MLB to everywhere. But, you know, we're now, I think about 90 of the 220 regular players on tour um, come from other countries. So, you know, to see a young guy at, you know, his age be able to do what he did is uh, it's really impressive and will only inspire more people to continue playing the game. Let's talk about Dave Clue and the entrepreneur. So when you were at Ithaca College, other than putting on four layers of clothing to go from one class to another, did you ever think you'd end up in doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, well, first off, so happy to be in sunny California for the last 20 plus years now at this point. Uh, yeah, definitely is. Uh, I made the right decision moving here in a January when a snowstorm was coming into New York as opposed to uh, coming out here when it was already beautiful there. But you know, look, I knew that I wanted to be in the sports industry. You know, I went to one of the earlier schools that had a sports management development track. It's amazing to watch how many amazing yeah. institutions have them now. But I definitely didn't think I would end up in golf. Um, you know, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball general manager originally and had my opportunities. Started with the Yankees with my internships in 96 and thought that was going to be the path and then took a detour when I turned down a full-time job to join a sports marketing agency, uh, which was the best decision of my life because I got thrown right into the fire and found really kind of where my calling was on the business side. 
And by the way, there are some Major League Baseball general managers that I know personally who can't hit a golf ball. So, you know, you got, you got some other perspectives there, I'm pretty That's sure, true. including a couple who are very close to home for you. We don't yeah. get specific, but we've taken some money from them. Let's just put it that way. So you decided to stay in the management business, the uh, management uh, plus enterprise mm-hmm. entity and all of those uh, companies. That's a tough side of the business, isn't it? It is. It is. But, you know, I, uh, you know, I like to say to everybody coming into the industry, you need to learn how to sell. Um, whether you're going to ultimately be a sponsorship salesperson, a ticket salesperson, a public relations executive, to a manager, to a general manager, to a team president, we're always selling. Uh, so the fact that I was able to get that opportunity at a very early age, coming right out of college, um, it was needed. But then I fell in love with the creativity of revenue generation. And, you know, again, it's all about playing chess and moving things around. Um, and, and figuring out how you really create the right type of marketing platform for a partner and, you know, still do it to today, you know, 25 years plus into my career, um, still love to be out there in the trenches, you know, selling and engaging with the brands and the partners and watching them bring things to life. Let's talk about the Tiger Woods Foundation and TGR Live first, and then we'll get to the genesis, because in many ways, uh, and I don't want to minimize the the genesis, but there's a tournament every week and there's only one Tiger Woods Foundation and there's only one Tiger Woods. So how do you get connected with Tiger and the foundation? Yeah. yeah so look, the foundation's been around. Um, this is our 25 year anniversary. Uh, Tiger started this a long time ago and, you know, it has evolved greatly. But at its core, um, it's an educational based foundation and it's everything from STEM learning to career pathways to professional development to scholars um, that we help get into college. But, you know, we started an event division, um, started with, you know, one tournament and some fundraising event, and have continued to grow this division uh, to have what we think now with this tournament is one of the flagship, you know, events on PGA Tour schedule. And I was blessed that the tour had been running this event here in Los Angeles um, prior to us taking it over in middle of 2016. And they were looking for someone that knew the LA market um, that came from the business landscape here in LA versus just someone from within the golf industry. And, you know, my experience with golf to that date was just completely hacking it up on a course. And uh, it was a very quick decision for me uh, to, you know, come and join this amazing team, you know, on behalf of Tiger and, you know, elevate what we're doing with the event itself, but really using it as a platform to generate more fundraising and more exposure for all the great work that we do at the end of the day with kids. Well, let's talk about that great work first, because, you just come out of an event where Tiger's not playing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion about whether he will play. And, and that's not really the storyline when you think about no. how dynamic this event is. The STEM, the career development, uh, the learning labs. Talk about all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, as you just said, we we build our events, we build our plans, not on the back of any one individual. It's really about the platform to highlight all the good work that we do. Um, The majority of our constituents that we work with are underrepresented, you know, communities. um, And it's everything from educational programming for kids, you know, fifth grade and up, um, digital curriculum that we work with our partners from discovery.edu, professional development so that the teachers and administrators can continue doing that work. And then over the last few years, our Pathways Forward uh, campaign, because, you know, there is no one size fits all about career development and how, and especially in today's day and age and technology and the growth, you know, 
what path you need to focus on. So we continue to evolve it. Um, you know, we're really honored to have reached as many children as we have over the last 25 years, but we're really excited about what the next 25 years is going to be. And we have some pretty lofty ambitions and goals uh, to continue growing the support that we can put out there. Tiger's activity is incredible. And the idea of him uh, taking a leadership position in this event, in addition to all the other stuff that he's got going, is to be commended. Uh, what is, is there a prioritization? Does he, does he care about STEM more than he cares about career development, learning labs? I mean, you have so many things going on. What, what's your sense? I mean, I think from, from a foundation standpoint, it's about how do you best support, you know, the transformation that education can make in, in young individuals' lives. Um, so all these things kind of work cohesively together. You know, again, you can support the students, but if there's not people who can support those programs after the kids get exposed to things from us, then we're doing them a disservice. So it really all works together. Uh, but at the end of the day, Tiger wants to provide opportunities for people uh, to transform their lives and the legacies of their families and give people opportunities to know that there's different paths to what you think you may have been born into as to where you may end up. You look at golf tournaments, and we'll segue into the genesis. You look at golf tournaments as something unique relating to charitable giving and development. You've got pro-ams, you got a week of, of opportunities to lobby, and on and on and on. Uh, how do you maximize the ability to generate significant charitable revenue on top of, of running a business? Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, PGA Tour is very unique. We are all nonprofits. Um, we are very unique even in the PGA Tour world in that we are both the host organizer and the beneficiary charity, um, which I think helps in our opinion because as we're telling the story as to why you're supporting the event, it's very natural to us because of our passion and what we do on a daily basis. We could talk about how those dollars are going to very specific programs as opposed to money just being split out to X number of groups throughout the community. Uh, but, you know, you said it perfectly. I mean, yeah. a golf tournament is a week-long on-site experience alone just from Monday through Sunday with multiple opportunities for pro-ams, for hospitality, for brand partnerships, for general ticket sales, and then your traditional, you know, week of, you know, revenue opportunities. But, you know, we tried to pull back when we took over this tournament and really look at it and take a little bit of a different lens than your traditional tournament and grow things here locally from the fan experience, uh, which we knew would attract more people to come out to Riviera that weren't golf fans. And, you know, I think we're, we're on target for uh, continued great growth. And I think anyone who saw the broadcasts from this year's event uh, would, would definitely say that this thing has just completely exploded. And the buzz in Los Angeles has been phenomenal for the last few years. Buzz in Los Angeles has been phenomenal for the past two weeks, pal. I mean, that was just an amazing, I was just going to say oh. that, uh, were you a SoFi? I, unfortunately, I wasn't. Uh, we had the opportunities, we had the tickets, but we were here. We had that Sunday yeah. morning, we had a brunch for all the college kids that were playing in our collegiate showcase on Monday, um, which gave really the opportunity for a college kid to get an exemption into the tournament. So we finished up brunch here and it was, uh, it was too hard, but I was able to get out the door literally at three o'clock, got back down to my house in the South Bay um, at three 30 as the rock was going on the screen, got to watch the game with my boys and my wife, and then got right back in the car and came right back up to Riv to be ready for the next morning. That's a nice day. I, I just, wish, uh, you know, had you really been committed to the growth of college golf, you know, offered all of those kids at the brunch, face value tickets they were only going for 62.50 a piece you know no our friends at the nfl would have been happy to have uh, take that, <laughs> taking that yeah. order from us and that, i don't blame them 
And that's the disconnect, ladies and gentlemen. So sports and economic development, the reason why I mentioned Super Bowl is it's such a big connect, yet an amazing month in in L.A. And you've also been the chairman of the L.A. Sports Council. Uh, Don't need you to to uh, to be convinced about the connection between sports and economic development. But but how how easy is it? How hard is it to convince the masses that this is not just sports, but this is really economics? You know, look, I think over the last 15, 20 years, you've seen that paradigm switch in communities and people who now understand the economic development, what that really means. And look, there's there's differences with everything. The mega events, the Super Bowls, the Olympics, um, there's definitely huge significant revenues that get generated. Um, and there's eyeballs that come in, there's tourism dollars, which is great. But for the properties that are here year round and the venues that are here year round, that's really where you start looking at transformational dollars on economic development. I mean, when I moved out here in 2003, Staples Center just opened a couple of years before. Um, and you look at now downtown Los Angeles and the area surrounding not just LA Live, but even on the outside, you know, the growth of dollars that came in there on residential, on new businesses, on new, you know, transportation hubs. And you're starting to see that around Inglewood now. You know, there's just so much power that comes in from part-time jobs, residential values going up from real estate um, to all the other infrastructure work that's needed as well. And, you know, combined between the mega events and the daily properties and venues and the businesses that are here, you know, we think LA is uh, second to none in the entire world from the development and the impact that we're able to make into the economy. Here's an interesting question that uh, those of us who have been on the stump for public-private partnerships uh, often try to do anecdotally, but uh, we, we don't have the, the data. How do you quantify all of the exciting kind of business that's done during the week? You see people doing things in the suites right. and everybody's happy. It's kind of hard to put numbers on it, but we know it exists. Yeah, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. And there's a lot of anecdotal stories. Um, there's some businesses that will do their own surveys and the sports properties of local businesses and looking at comparisons, you know, on like a mega event of same time last year without the event. What did that impact on hotels and restaurants and businesses? There's looking at taxes at the end of the year, you know, but there's also from our standpoint, you know, from the Sports Council, I think it was about two and a half years ago, we commissioned a report with the LA Economic Development uh, Committee. And we were out there with all of the sports teams, all of the properties, all of the venues, um, and really getting true anecdotal and statistical data from them on employment, revenue generation, um, you know, and other things that they had. And, you know, we published a report and it showed the power of this region. That Report is already outdated since SoFi Stadium is now opened up. Um, a new NBA arena is coming in here in Inglewood with our friends from the Clippers. So there is no lack of demand and there's no lack of opportunities to have sports be used for the better good, both in a community standpoint, from social good, as well as from an economic impact as well. Here's my big question. Do you think the people in Inglewood that had contiguous property next to SoFi report the $500 of cash they get per parking space to the government? What do you think? I will not answer that, <laughs> uh, but I, I definitely regret that I did not buy some property around the stadium, yeah. even a open dirt lot, um, you know, six years ago. Probably yeah. going to be one of those uh, regrets that I'll have for the rest of my life. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. 
but look, LA is a, it's still a car market. Um, mass transit yeah. is not there to the point yet at SoFi. It will get there, especially with 2028 yeah. teams coming down. But right now it's, uh, the, the, the demand for parking is unbelievable there. And, uh, you know, I would say better off just charge for parking. Don't even charge for the tickets and you'd be fine. Yeah, you'd be fine. Five more minutes. Just a couple of things yeah. about the golf business generally. Uh, how are we doing with gaming? Uh, will gaming coexist? Uh, you know, you saw it firsthand. Are we there? Any bugs to be worked out? Look, I think with with any you know evolution and any new addition to a sport, there's always gonna be bugs to work out. I think the tour has been very savvy. They've had their finger on the pulse of this even before it started happening to be ready to take advantage of it. Um, and they've made some great executive hires, including Scott Warfield, who came over from NASCAR. But if you think about golf, with as I said. Four days of a pro tournament, 120 to 140 players, depending on a field, the number of shots, the number of holes, the number of bets. You know, this sport is well positioned to best take advantage of the gaming landscape. Um, there's just so much activity, so many different angles. And I think you've seen that with DraftKings and BetMGM and PointsBet yeah. and everybody else coming involved already as sponsors of the tour. And, you know, the tour has done a great job with the Shotland committee, but there's so much data and there's so much insight that this sport is able to provide um, that I think the sport is well positioned to be one of the leaders in the gaming industry over the next, you know, 10, 15 years. Who doesn't on a green bet uh, whether a guy's going to make a putt or not? And now yeah. that most tournaments allow mobile phones in a, an event, it's a perfect storm. as we know. It is. One, one day we'll have it here in California. Um, you yeah. know, trust me, we're, we're salivating, ready to do it. And. You know, I think, look, it, it's coming. Um, we saw it now happen in New York State, and there's some things that the state has to get through with some of the pre-existing, you know, casinos that are here. Uh, but it's inevitable that it's coming. It's just a question of when, and then how do we do it in the safest manner possible for everybody uh, to make sure that it is done as seamlessly as we can. And here's a little tip from someone who knows a little bit about this, where you're already starting to earmark the proceeds before they're collected. Does it go to homeless? Does it go to mental health? Right. It's just It's just a matter of time. Hopefully yeah, it's it a matter of time. All right, let's talk for a minute about new media streaming. Uh, Tour's done a great job of taking advantage of this streaming craze, right. questions on how to monetize it. But certainly, if you want every shot of every event, you've got it. We do. It's uh, look, we're we're really proud of the new partnership with ESPN for the ESPN Plus platform that has literally put you know everything online now from early round coverage which then seamlessly goes into our partnerships with golf channel for early round to then going to cbs or going to nbc depending on the tournament uh, i think espn plus has done a phenomenal job in their first two months here as a partner and you know we now have four different streams that are going at all times on espn plus and it's included for free in your monthly subscription so you can watch featured groups every single day you can watch signature holes you've got the par three cameras and i'm sure that there is more to come uh from that and then you layer on top of that the tourist partnership with amazon web services and what they're bringing to the table from yeah. data and storage and the ability for archival highlights to be literally spit out in in real time like you've seen with other sports but you know we're so well positioned for today's day and age and you know i'm uh, i'm definitely curious to see and I didn't watch it too much this week because I was a little busy. How many people have the four different streams on their cell phone while they're at the golf tournament? Um, because, you know, you are going to continue seeing that more and more, too. And, you know, we run into this in other events. How do you make sure the fan experience is so great on site 
that people don't say, well, I'm just going to stay in the comfort of my own house and watch on my 55 or 60 inch television versus getting out there. And I think that's something that we're always laser focused on is the fan experience here. So uh, it, it would be hard to ask you right now with an interview that will have some long term legs about some specific comments relative to the Saudi events and the, the minimums and all of that, because it changes every day. But from a broad perspective, uh, appearance fees, minimums, uh, the, the sanctity of the PGA Tour, uh, those exemptions that are allowed versus the you know, high paid appearance exemptions. Where do you, where does all that uh, fit in the future? What's your thought? Look, I think when, when you look at it right now, I don't see why anyone would leave the opportunities that we have here and that are provided through the PGA Tour. Um, you know, the tour continues to increase prize money as tour revenues go up. They continue to provide amazing platforms uh, for all of the players, both from their own exposure through the media platforms that are here, as well as opportunities for them to engage in other participation, whether that's end of year bonus pools or, you know, the new you know PIP program that was introduced last year. But this is where the best players in the world are. And if you are one of the best players, you want to be playing against the best players in the world. So, look, I think. Everyone has to make their own decisions, um, but you saw it this weekend. You've heard it over the last couple of weeks. The top players continue to make the commitment to the tour and the platform that's here. Um, and, you know, I think we're only going to see that continue to grow. All right. Finally, you're a disciple of Ben Hogan, and I've seen the quote where it says, if you can't outplay him, outwork them. Yep. You're one of the laziest guys there. So you have no, you know, you don't work. You have no job. In all seriousness, my respect is immense. You know, oh, the thank foundation. You. How do you juggle the the priorities. I mean, you're not only the LA Sports Council stuff, but the foundation, getting yep. ready for next event, recovering from pandemic. How do you get it all done? Oh, and then add on top being a, a father of two boys under the uh, age of 13 and, and yeah, a husband. Right. Got it. You yeah. know, look, I think it's first and foremost, you got to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, it doesn't feel like work to me, what I'm doing here. I'm energetic still just as much now as I was when I first joined the company. But, you know, I have my own internal drive and a strive to continue elevating and evolving uh, what is being done. But I've also learned over the years, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just about balance. And literally when we're done here today, have a couple of things to wrap up here at the course and jump straight into, you know, little league baseball coaching um, from the boys, which I'm just as excited about as I am anything else. So, you know, I, I think you have to find the things that move you. Um, it is hard sometimes to disconnect. I've, feel like I've done a better job of that over the last handful of years. This year was a little bit harder with us coming back post COVID and first time of fans, a lot of new partners. Um, but I think you got to take that moment to take a deep breath and realize that, you know, end of the day, if you don't have that outlet on the other side, this is not sustainable. That's great advice. And the Tiger Woods Foundation, TGR Live, Dave Cluen, the Genesis Invitational, LA Golf Sports Council, it's all in good hands. How about the Sports Gambling Minute? DraftKings CEO says the betting revenue could help address homelessness and mental health. The stock tumbled after earnings reports as the company saw widening losses and cost increases. But Jason Robbins, the CEO, spoke about the numbers and also talked about California's potential impact. California, we continue to work with a number of leading online sports betting operators in support of a campaign to bring regulated, safe, and responsible online sports betting to the state, Robbins said. Legal online sports betting projected to bring hundreds of millions in tax revenue annually 
to the state to address two of those states' pressing issues, homelessness and mental health. States that offer legal wagering have seen big boosts in revenue since they began accepting bets. And for example, New York took in $1.98 billion in wagers during its first month of legalized gaming in 2021, producing $70.6 million in tax revenues. How about your tech minute? A little more sports than tech, but it's streaming. College baseball returned emphatically as their streaming deal with ESPN sets its season up for success. Industry-leading baseball coverage returns with 200-plus televised games and an additional 2,000 on digital platforms, including 21 of the top 25 preseason-ranked teams featured on the ESPN networks. Additionally, the network celebrated the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first MLB game on April 15. Following with extensive college season coverage, they'll be exclusive home of the road to Omaha, Major League Baseball currently on hiatus, as we know. College baseball takes center stage for the fans, and ESPN's inclusion of over 2,000 games marks the most the network has streamed, and the season's sure to be exciting. Numerous stars in the making. The path to Omaha starts today. Finally, the Good Sports 5. NHL aired their first ever black TV broadcast last week, a trend sure to continue. Celebrating Black History Month, J.T. Brown, Everett Fitzhugh became the first all-black broadcasting duo in NHL history when they called the Kraken's road game against the Winnipeg Jets on Root Sports Network. They were a unique duo and certainly made history. Denise White named the She Mogul Award honoree presented by the NFL as a Sports Power Brunch Award during Super Bowl week. She founded EAG Sports Management in 1997 when there were no seats for women at the table. Look now. Pickleball rising in the U.S., about 4.8 million now playing. The organization called the USA Pickleball set rules in 2005, and now it's the strongest growth among players under 55. What a great sport, philanthropic as well. The NFL taking an even deeper look into the Dan Snyder inquiries. They bring on ex-SEC chair member Mary Jo White. The NFL informed the House Oversight Committee of the move, and the news came after the NFL announced the league, not the commanders, would hire an investigator to examine sexual assault allegations made last week by a former team employee, Tiffany A. Johnston, a former cheerleader and marketing manager for the team against Snyder, And finally, Mano Ginobili, named among the 11 Namesmith Basketball Hall of Fame nominees. The class of 2022 officially unveiled on April 2nd in New Orleans during the Final Four and enshrined in the Hall on September 10 in Springfield. Good for him and good for them. Well, that's our show for today. We'd like to thank all of those who helped put this together. I'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. And join us next week when we go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Ricardo. Speak with you soon. Music